This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. I am your friend Anirban. and in this podcast i talk about unfamiliar dimensions of familiar episodes in history in the last episode i was talking about the presence of a number of sufi muslim verses in the sikh holy book guru granth sahib i was talking about how historians have over time researched this issue In this episode I propose to talk about the early history of football. When we talk about the early history of football, the name that most immediately comes to mind is that of Eric or E.G. Dunning. Dunning was probably among the first of scholars uh, to carry out systematic academic research in the history of football or at any rate one of the earliest what did he have to say on the early history of football now the publication of a long essay from his 1961 ma thesis to the university of leicester forms the core material of my presentation today it is called the early history of football football has been widely played in england since at least the 12th century prior to about 1840 however matches were loosely organized and rough serious injury and even death were their frequent companions It was not until the middle of the 19th century and that in the public schools of the United Kingdom that football of a more organized and civilized kind emerged. This paper by Dunning talks about the early history of football between the 12th century and the 1840s. and he attempted to account for what uh, he called the civilizing process that took place in the middle of the 19th century so 1850s but uh, he went back to 1175 when william fitzstephen in an account of uh, the shrove tide festivities in the london of those times referred to the famous game of ball that uh, probably was the first written reference to football fitzstephen's reference in the 12th century however is a loan document there is no evidence to show whether the game was played in the 13th century but in the 14th 15th and 16th centuries there is a uh, plenty of evidence Apart from frequent references to football in works of literature all evidence from these references uh, consists of prohibitions and attacks uh, and disapproval in one of the two senses it was either regarded as a public nuisance a danger to life 
property and public order and banned for that reason or prohibited because its popularity was considered a threat to archery so vital to national defense. The game was first banned in London in 1314 when the following proclamation was issued in the name of Edward II by Nicholas da Fandon, the Lord Mayor of London, and I quote, For as much as there is great noise in the city caused by hustling over large footballs in the fields of public from which many evils might arise, which God forbid, we command and forbid on behalf of the king on pain of imprisonment such game to be used in the city in future. An order from Edward III to the Sheriff of, of London issued in 1365 illustrates the attitude that led to its prohibition on military grounds. And I quote again. To the sheriffs of London, order to cause proclamation to be made that every able-bodied man of the said city on feast days, when he has leisure, shall in his sports use bows and arrows, or pellets and bolts, forbidding them under pain of imprisonment to meddle in the hurling of stones, loggets, and quirts, handball, football, or other vain games of no value. As the people of the realm, noble and simple, used theretofore to practice the seed art in their sports when, by God's help, came forth honor to the kingdom and advance to the king in his actions of war. And now the seed art is almost wholly disused and the people indulge in the games aforesaid and in other dishonest, unthrifty or idle games, whereby the realm is likely to be without archers. Between 1314 and 1615, traditional football was banned on at least 20 occasions for reasons such as these. It is clear that until the 19th century, football was the cause of considerable conflict between the central authorities of the kingdom and those who wished to play, and between players and local officials such as mayors and aldermen. With the then existing techniques of communication and social control, however, the authorities proved unequal to the task of suppressing football, and it continued to be played over wide areas according to custom, which was stronger than the law. Had the prohibitions been successful, the repetition would have been superfluous. During the 16th and 17th centuries, football, among other games, was attacked by Puritans. Notable among those, partly for the vehemence of his attack, but also for his account of the game, which shades further light on its structure at the stage, was Philip Stubbs. In his Anatomy of Abuses, published in 1583, 
Stubbs wrote, and I quote, Football playing may rather be called a friendly kind of fight than a play or recreation, a bloody and murdering practice that a fellowly sport or pastime. For doth not everyone lie in wait for his adversary, seeking to overthrow him and to peek him on his nose, though it be upon hard stones, in ditch or dell, in valley or hill, or what place soever it be, he careth not, so he have him down, and by this means sometimes their necks are broken, sometimes their backs, sometimes their legs, sometimes their arms, sometimes one part is thrust out of joint, sometimes their eyes start out, and sometimes heart in one place, sometime in another. And no marvel, for they have slates to meet one betwixt two, to dash him against the heart with their elbows, to hit him under the short ribs with their gripped fists, and with their knees to catch him upon the hip, and pick him on his knee with a hundred other such murdering devices. And hereof groweth envy, malice, rancor, hatred, displeasure, enmity, and what not else. And sometimes fighting, brawling, contention, quarrel-peaking, murder, homicide, and great effusion of blood, as experience daily teacheth." Unquote. As a Puritan, Stubbs may have objected to football as ungodly and may have exaggerated the viciousness of players. But other accounts of the traditional game also attest to its unruliness and violence. A description by Richard Carew of a traditional Cornish game called hurling shows similar characteristics. Even though in his case the ball was carried and thrown rather than kicked, it appeared in his Survey of Cornwall, published in 1602, and I quote, Two or three or more rival parishes agreed to throw against two or three other parishes. The matches are usually made by gentlemen, and the goals are either those gentlemen's houses or some towns or villages some two or three miles asunder of which each side maketh choice after the nearness of their dwellings. When they meet, there is neither comparing of numbers nor matching of men, but a silver ball is cast up, and that company which can catch or carry the ball by force or slight to the place assigned gaineth the victory. The harlers take their way over hills, dales, hedges, throwbears, mires, plashes, and rivers whatsoever, so as you shall sometimes see thirty light tugging together in the water, scrambling and scratching for the ball. The play is verily both rough and rude. When the hurling is ended, you shall see them returning home as from a pitched battle with bloody pates, bones broken, 
and out of joint and such bruises as served to shorten their days. Carew's account suggests that as far as Cornwall was concerned at least, members of the gentry may have played. Though whether they actually participated or merely arranged matches is not clear. If they did play, this was rare. By and large, traditional football was and remained always a game of the poorer classes. The descriptions quoted so far illustrate well the essential features of traditional football. It was played through the streets of towns as well as in fields and across country. Goals in particular areas tended to be rivers, trees, fences, buildings and boundary marks. Size of the playing area varied considerably from community to community, ranging between a few score yards to two or three miles. Sometimes whole villages, women as well as men, would participate. Compared with modern rules, the traditional rules were loose and simple. Traditional football was above all disorderly and violent. And use of physical force was the main tactic. Indeed, the game at this stage resembled far more a struggle for territory between rival groups than a ball game as we know it today. Now, traditional forms of football continued to be popular throughout the 17th and for most of the 18th century. By 1801, however, it had declined to such an extent that Strutt could write in his sports and pastimes of the people of England, and I quote, it was formerly much in vogue among the common people of England. Though of late years it seems to have fallen into disrepute and is but little practiced. This is probably uh, something of an oversimplification. Traditional football continued to be played, especially in rural areas, throughout the 19th century and indeed is still played through in a less violent form in places such as Ashbourne in Derbyshire. Uh, Dunning was speaking of the 1960s. Now that, however, is an entirely different issue. As the 19th century proceeded, however, the traditional game undoubtedly declined, largely because improved techniques of social control, such as the new police system introduced by Sir Robert Pill in 1829, um, now allowed local officials and hostile groups to offer a much more effective challenge than had been possible in the old days of watchmen and constables. At the same time, urbanization was proceeding apace. Largely unplanned in its earliest stages, with the consequent neglect to provide adequate recreational facilities, for the mass of the walking population. As a result, groups among whom football had hitherto been a favorite pastime found it increasingly difficult to gain access to open spaces 
where the game could be played without endangering property. Now, as the traditional forms declined, moreover, models of play much more appropriate to an urbanizing, industrializing society were being established at the public schools. And that is part of our next episode. So far, we spoke about the early history of football as a terribly rough, wild and unruly sport. Hang on and I'll be back next week. But before that, let me ask you as usual to subscribe and also to give me feedback about what you think about this episode and about other episodes. So please subscribe to History Chatter in Epilog Media website, Geo Savan, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Till then, this is Anirban, your friend signing off and looking forward to part two of the early history of football. Thank you very much. <laughs>